0: James chapter number 1 verse 13 simply declares, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by their own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. sin, and, And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of Lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change of his own. He, he will brought of his own will He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be the kind of first fruits of his creation. Uh, this morning, we want to uh, look at the issue of temptation. And I want to preach from the subject title, An Invitation to Decline. An Invitation to Decline. Let me pray for us. Father, it is always good to be in your house. And God, I want to say it's good uh, to be a part of a church family. God, as we dig into your word this morning, God, I pray that nothing would hinder your word. God, not my limitations, not this cold I'm dealing with. God, not even the issues that are going on after church, um, not even the issues that took place before church. God, help us all to get to a place in our lives, God, where we can um, be still this morning, and God, where we can focus on you. God, it's not a, it's not a coincidence that we're here together. Um, God, it's not a coincidence that you allowed us um, to hear this message. God, but I pray that you would so use this time together, God, that we would be encouraged. God, but I pray that we would also be challenged with the reality of sin. God, how you have called us to be men and women who do not succumb to to the temptation of sin. God, we know that what we are about to deal with this morning is a heavy topic, God, but I pray as we preach this morning, God, that we will receive grace. I even want to give the answer, God, that, that that's why you came. God, that's why you die, because of sin and because we are people who are prone to wonder. God, help us to see that this morning and help us to see exactly how to respond appropriately to sin. In Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Uh, There is a story told of a young boy who was in the kitchen with his mom while his mom was making some chocolate chip cookies. The little boy was excited because he loved mama's chocolate chip cookies. But like most moms, mom made a decision that he could not partake of the cookies until after he ate his dinner. Mom had finished uh, making the cookies and she left them on the shelf so they could cool. And before she left the kitchen, mom looked him directly in the eye and said, boy, don't you dare eat those cookies. The little boy said, yes, ma'am. And as she walked out of the uh, room, sin began to wrestle with him in his heart. He pulled up a chair to the counter and he stared at the cookies. And the more he stared at the cookies, the more he imagined how good the cookies taste. And after a while, he went from staring at the cookies to actually partaking in the cookies. He was surprised when his mom were in at the room Because she quickly said, didn't I tell you not to eat the cookies? And with a full mouth, the little boy replied, you don't understand, mommy. I got up on the chair and my teeth got caught on the cookie. (laughs) I I wanted to tell that story this morning to kind of break the ice because we're going to deal with a heavy topic this morning. Uh, the passage that we are going to consider this morning is a passage that addresses the topic of temptation. As we enter into this conversation, we got to understand that temptation, though it has many forms, is something that every believer must deal with. Uh, this morning, we want to understand that temptation is like an invitation, It is an invitation not to have fun. It is not an invitation to be free. It is not an invitation just to live your best life. When we are tempted, we are invited to a rebellious journey called sin. Uh, Most of us can remember having a senior skip day in high school. It was the day where the seniors would, the senior class would, would, would not go to school. They would be away from the authority of parents. They would be away from the authority of teachers. And every other class would be invited to senior skip day. Every other class would be invited on this journey to live free and independent from school and teachers and parents. I really believe that's how we should look at the issue of sin. That any time we're tempted, any time you are presented with a temptation, essentially Satan is inviting you to live outside of God's authority, to live outside of God's rule, and to live outside of Christ's reign. Now, to, to, to get this, put this into proper perspective, last week we spent time focusing on the issue of trials. In our time together, we concluded that trials come with certainty. You and I must live our life in such a way where we expect for trials to come. The text literally says, not if trials come, but when trials come. Secondly, we spoke about how trials come with diversity that trials are various, they are multifaceted, they are multicolored. The trials that I face will be different than the trials that you face. The trials of a young person will be different than the trials of an old person. Trials come in different ways. And lastly, we considered that there is a legacy left behind by our trials. James 1.4 simply says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When you read verse four, the word perfect in the text is communicating the issue of maturity. That God desires that you grow to a place of maturity. That God desires for everyone who's placed their faith in Christ, who's been born again, to not stay as a baby. Yes, God meets you exactly where you are. The gospel message meets us where we are. God does not expect you to change who you are to be a part of his family. But the greatest thing about the gospel is that God meets us where we are, but God does not leave us where we are we are. God loves you too much. God is too committed to you to leave you how he found you. And when God finds you, he not only places his spirit inside of you, the scripture tells us that God desires to conform you to the image of Christ. One of the things we got to understand from the very beginning is God is not trying to conform me to be like anybody other than Jesus. So many times in the Christian experience, we spend our life consumed with comparing ourselves to other people. And let me just let you off the hook here. You do not have to compare yourself to anybody else because God does not want you to be like anybody else. The reason why God gave you fingerprints is because you are unique, you are special. God does not want you to be like me or like Dukes or like Ron or like Betty or like Karen. God wants you to be more like Christ. And the legacy of trials, the legacy that, that trials leave is that the trials of our lives make us more like Jesus. Let me go ahead and say this. We do not have to like the trials, but we need to understand why trials come. You need to understand why God allows you to go through hard seasons, and the reason why is because God wants you to be perfect. God wants you to be complete. God wants you to be mature. Now, in our passage today, we want to look at a different kind of test and this test is the test called temptation. So our first point is, we want to consider the substance of temptations. Verse 13 says, Let no one say, when he or she is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. As we jump into the first point uh, on the substance of temptation, I believe that it is important for us to consider The fact that there is a huge difference between temptation and trials. Yes, God does ordain some trials for your life. God assigns certain trials for you to go through, but temptations are different. Our trials lead to God's glorification while temptation leads to self-gratification. Our trials build strength while temptations prey on weakness. Our trials require perseverance while temptations encourage you to take a shortcut. We must understand that temptation... Is enticement to do evil. It is an invitation to rebel against God. And James does not spend a lot of time uh, talking about the origin of evil, but he does take the time to tell us very clearly that God is not the author of evil. James reminds us that God is not the author of temptation. But it is very easy for us to see in our lives that temptation is real. And if we're honest, many of us, myself included, have had seasons in our life where we have succumbed to a temptation and we have blamed God for the temptation and for us falling into temptation. Is that not what happened in Genesis chapter number 3? Is that not what happened with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.12? It says... Uh, the man said, the, the woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit. Essentially, he was saying, God, if you hadn't gave me that woman, <laughs> we've all said this before. <laughs> God, if you hadn't put me in this circumstance, God, if you hadn't allowed this to happen, God, if you hadn't have done what you did, then I would not have fallen into sin. For, before we try to shame Adam and Eve, we need to understand that all of Adam and Eve's children, that's everybody under the sound of my voice, we all have an issue with admitting and placing blame on others when it comes to sin. It's amazing to me how my kids, I love my kids, but it's amazing to me how Titus has become the fall guy in the house. <laughs> if something goes wrong, they blame blaming Titus. And I've had to mature to a place where I don't have to just, ta- I cannot take their word. Now, sometimes it is Titus, because that's my, that's my problem child, right? <laughs> but, but, but sometimes they, they, they just point the finger at Titus because they don't want to accept responsibility. And all of us, that, that's kind of what we do. It's, it's much easier for me to blame my wife, to blame my church, to blame my circumstances, to blame my boss, to blame my co-workers, to blame those who are under me, it's easy for me to point the finger at others rather than accepting personal responsibility. It's also easy for me to point the finger at God. I know that, that sounds weird for me to say, but it's true that sometimes we have the mindset, Lord, if you hadn't have done this, or Lord, if you had just done this, then I would not be in this circumstance or situation. Because James understands that that, that is a natural in the, uh, there is a natural inclination for us to do that. He tells us that God never tempts us to sin because God cannot sin. It is inconsistent with the character of God to entice you to sin. Uh, that statement is sound doctrine, but it is also for our protection. We have a human proclivity to blame God, when we are tempted. But here's the truth: we should never be in a place where we blame God. Matthew 6:13 actually teaches us to ask the Lord to lead us not into temptation. Essentially, he is encouraging us to pray that God would keep us from situations where we are tempted. In first Corinthians ten thirteen, Paul uh, builds on what Jesus says in Matthew uh, six, he says in in first Corinthians ten thirteen, uh, no temptation is taking you, but that is coming to man or woman. But God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What the scripture is telling us is, yes, does the Lord allow us to be tempted? Yes, it's very clear in the text. But with the temptation, the text is telling us that God also is faithful to provide a way of escape. One of my uh, favorite movies is uh, the movie National Treasure. It is a very far-fetched movie. It is not uh, historically accurate. It's pretty clean, though. So it's a movie that I, I watch often. Um, it's a movie that's usually, um, doesn't matter what time of day, it just, it's usually on. And, you know, whenever I'm, I'm at home, I'm watching TV, I, if I see National Treasure, I'm usually going to watch it because it's one of my favorite movies, right? When you think about the first National Treasure, when they finally find the treasure... They're up under the church, uh, they, they find the entrance, they send the bad guys away, and they find this phenomenal treasure, and, and, and excitement of over finding the treasure quickly turns to gloom and doom because they don't know how they're going to get out. One of the characters says, what's the point of finding the treasure if we have no way of escaping? And then Nicolas Cage's character says, when the Masons built the treasure chest, they would have always provided a way of escape. I want you to think about it that. When God orchestrates our life, he always provides the way of escape. There's never a temptation in your life where God does not give you an alternative to exit. But here's the truth. Many times we are unwilling to take the exit. So first we see the substance of temptation, but secondly, we see the source of temptation. Verse 14 says, but each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by their own desires. Having made a powerful defense of God's character in verse 13, James then begins to speak about the source of our temptations. Verse 14 again says, But each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by their own desires. Um, this, is, this is for my older crew, um, what I'm about to say. There's an old comedian named Flip Wilson <laughs> who, I'm not going to tell most of his jokes, but he always would say, he had, he had a, a common phrase, the devil made me do it. Many of us, when we face temptations and we succumb to our flesh, and we make decisions to be disobedient to God, we quickly, quickly, after maybe blaming the Lord, we want to shift the blame to Satan. We want to shift the blame to the devil made me do it. Like, there, there was no way I could get out of it. It's not the truth. The scripture says, it's our own desires that lead us to sin. Now, I think it's important for me to say, desires... By themselves are not good or bad. Many of our desires are good and consistent with the character and the nature of God. The desire for sex is a good desire, it just needs to be fulfilled the right way. The desire for the, a family is a great desire. The question is, how do you fulfill the, 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 the desire? The desire for respect, the desire for love, the desire for a job. All of those desires are great desires. The question is, how will you fulfill the, the, the desire that you've been given? Um, I can remember when I was in college and um, I, I was a business major at Morehouse and I remember taking, taking business statistics and I was struggling in the class I hate that I'm about to say this, but the, the teacher would allow us to have a TI-82 calculator. And what the professor did not know is with a TI-82, you can do notes inside the calculator. So, I know, I know, I know, I know. So you could use the calculator for the, for the math problems, but what we, would, what we would do is we would, uh, we would write the notes so that we would know the formulas and we would have like a little cheat sheet on the calculator. My college students don't do this now. <laughs> don't, don't get kicked out of school listening to your pastor, right? But the, the desire to pass the test, there's nothing wrong with that. The, the, the desire to make an A on a test, nothing wrong with that. But it's, it's me taking the calculator and cheating which made it sin. When you think about it from that perspective, we need to understand that many times Satan is able to lure us away and entice us based upon our own desires. I don't think we have a ton of people in our church who like to fish, but we do understand the principle of a bait and a hook. When folks go out to fish, they don't throw the hook in the water by itself. They put some bait on the hook because the bait itself implies that it's something desired, uh, it's something desirous to the thing you're trying to catch. Folks who don't fish much may think uh, that I'm just going to throw a worm on there. But, but when you're really, you a really serious fisherman or fisherwoman, you can buy special bait that will look more like, um, it looks more natural. The best bait moves a certain way. It responds to the water a certain way. It has a certain texture. It looks a certain way in the sun. And when fishermen are serious, they're going to make sure the bait is appealing and catching. If you want to catch fish, you've got to put some on the end of the line that the fish is looking for. That's how Satan does us. When Satan tries to hook us, when Satan tries to tempt us, Satan puts something on the hook that you're looking for. There's certain things that, that are going to be on my hook that are not on your hook because you don't desire those. But Satan knows exactly the things that we desire and because Satan knows what we desire, he's able to lure us away. Satan knows what we like, he knows what we desire and since Satan is serious about sin, Satan tries to put something on the hook that we desire greatly. In the text, James reminds us that we are lured away into sin, that we are enticed away into sin. So it was with Adam, so it was with Eve, so it was with Samson, so it was with David, so it was with Paul, so it was with Peter, so it was with everyone here today. We are all enticed because we are looking to fulfill a desire. Now, here's, here's the question. If God gives me the desire then how is this sin? It's sin not because of of the desire. It's sin based upon how you look to fulfill the desire. That's what makes it lust. When you you fulfill the, the desires of your heart outside of God's will, then it becomes sin. When you take something legitimate and you fulfill it in an illegitimate way, that's when it's sin. Like the desire to have companionship is a legit desire. The question is, how will you fulfill it? The, the desire for money is a legitimate desire. The question is, how will you fulfill it? The, the desire for respect, for sex, for significance, all of those things are legitimate desires. But the question is, when you look at your life, how are you looking to fulfill those desires. Many times, Satan takes those desires and he offers us a shortcut. He offers us a way to fulfill those things outside of God's will. And the issue that we got to understand is when we are succumbing to temptation, it's really because we are disconnected in our relationship with God. We are discounting what God has told us in his word. We are forgetting who we are in Christ, and we are forgetting whose we are in Christ. So this morning, as we look at this issue of temptation, I got to ask you a question. Like, how is your spiritual health this morning? Because if my spiritual health is bad, then I'm more likely to succumb to the temptation. If I'm disconnected from the Lord, I'm more likely to succumb to the temptation. If I'm not under the authority of God's word, I'm in a place where I'm unwilling to accept what God has said is true. doesn't matter what the issue of temptation is, whether it's revenge or power or fame or ambition or materials, we need to be clear that these are things that Satan can use against us to cause us to take shortcuts with God. So first, we see the substance of temptation. Secondly, we see the source of temptation, our desires. But thirdly, we see the sequence of temptation. Verse 15 says, Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Remember that temptation is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. Go back to the illustration of, the, of the, the test. My desire to pass the test was not bad. It was my willingness to cut corners that made it a sin. When James describes uh, the issue of temptation, he usually, or he, not usually, he literally speaks about a process that we go through. Verse 14 speaks about our desire, right? We first have a desire. And we first ask ourselves, will we, will we satisfy the, the desire, God's way or the world's way? Then after the, des- the desire, we see deception, right? We're lured and enticed. No temptation appears to be a temptation. It always seems more alluring than it really is. Uh, the, the the temptation always seems more appealing than it really is. Uh, one of my favorite preachers says it this way: A Fish don't go looking for hooks, bears don't go looking for bear traps, mice don't go looking for mouse traps, but they are enticed by the bait. They are enticed by things that look legitimate. They are enticed by things that seem to be right. When you think about Satan and his deception in Genesis three it's very clear that when Satan was speaking to Adam, well, speaking to Eve, and they were deceived, he didn't say anything about the results of sin. He didn't say anything about the pain in childbirth. He didn't say anything about the enmity between the husband and the wife. He didn't say anything about Cain killing Abel. He didn't say anything about those things. He just said, you'll be more like God. How many of us can say that when I look at my life, and look at the the times where I have uh, made decisions to break my my commitment to the Lord, it's really because I've been deceived. It's really because I've gotten to a place in my life where I believe the lies of Satan more so than I believe the truth of God's word. The late uh, Adrian Rogers used to say, sin will take you farther than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. So we see that sin has an aspect of, dis, of disobedience, but also there's an a, a aspect of deception, but there's also an aspect of disobedience. Verse 15 says, when, uh, when the desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. It changes the illustration from, from fishing to having a baby, to, to, to birthing something, and then lastly, after desire, after deception, after disobedience, then sin brings death. And when we say death, we're talking about separation from God. So when you look at the text, you see the substance of temptation, you see the source of temptation, you see the sequence of temptation, and lastly, and most importantly, we see the solution to temptation. Verse 17 says... Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. One of Satan's greatest tricks is to convince us that our Father is withholding a good gift from us. When Satan approached Eve, he suggested that if God really loved her, then he would permit her to eat the forbidden tree. When Satan tempted Jesus, he raised the question, if your father really loves you, why are you hungry? When we are focusing and battling in the midst of temptation, one of the things that we must conclude in our heart is that God is good, that God loves us, and that God cares for us. And since God is good, and since God is faithful, we don't have to look to Any other way to fulfill our needs, because ultimately God knows how to fulfill every single one of our needs it 's been said that it is better to be hungry in the will of God than full outside of god 's will and once we understand that satan's offers are attractive, the Bible even says that sin is pleasurable for a season. I hate when sometimes when preachers we stand up here. And we don't want to admit that sin is enticing, that sin is real. It is pleasurable, but the scriptures tell us that sin always brings death. So when we think about the solution, we got to remember that God is not just good, but God only gives good gifts. Everything good in this world comes from God. So God is good. But also, the way God gives is good. The way God acts is good. If you were in need today of some money and I would have called you up front and I would have berate you and I would have embarrassed you and I would throw some money on the floor and tell you to pick it up, that wouldn't be a good way to give you a good thing. But God does not do us like that. God gives us grace and God meets us exactly where we are because he knows how to give in a good way. Also, God gives good things consistently. It says that he is coming down um, with, with no changing. God does it not occasionally, but God does it consistently. And when you think about God being good, God giving good gifts, God giving things a good way, and God consistently giving us everything we need, that is the response that we should always have to our temptation.